You've just tuned into the Unify podcast from Unify Youth. Our goal is to equip young people with the Word of God so they can live empowered in Christ and tackle the challenges of this world. Tune in for weekly sermons, devotions, and interviews. Welcome to the Unify podcast. Good morning to all is perhaps the most famous melody in the English-speaking world. It was a song that was composed by a school teacher for her students to sing as they came to class in the morning. Perhaps you haven't heard of that song, but you certainly know the melody. 20 years later, in 1912, a new song had been written using this melody, which became the song, Happy Birthday, to you. There are many songs that we sing for special occasions that we hear on special occasions as happy birthday to you. There's the music that we hear when people are walking down the aisle to get married. Uh, There's a graduation fanfare, there's national anthems, there's the Anzac Last Post. Of course, the Macarena and the Nutbush are frequently danced to at weddings. And of course, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of songs that we sing at Christmas time. Tonight, we're studying Psalm 81. And Psalm 81 was a song that was sung annually by God's people, Israel, for a very special occasion. This term, we've been looking at the Psalms and the Saviour. We're reading a selection of psalms and we want to see the saviour who fulfills the psalms, the saviour who quotes the psalms, who teaches the psalms and is the glorious king that is anticipated by the psalms. Tonight we turn our attention to Psalm 81 and there are three calls, three calls tonight that I want you to see. Three calls and these are the three calls. The first call is worship God. The first call is to worship God. We see that in verse 1 to 5 of our passage. The second call is to remember God, to remember God, and that's from verse 6 to 12. And the third and the final call is to hear God, to hear God, worship God, remember God, and hear God, verse 13 to 16. And the message of this psalm, if you had to summarize this psalm, get the essence, the center, the main point of the psalm, it's simple. This is what Psalm 81 is trying to teach us. Hear God and walk in his ways. That's the message of this psalm. Hear God and walk in his ways. But first, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this evening, for uh, the time that we've already been able to enjoy with each other. And now as we come before your word, would you help us? Help us to hear it, to hear you, to hear your word. Would you help me to preach clearly and faithfully? Would you help all those that are here to listen carefully because the words that we are reading are your words to us. So may we look forward to learning more about you, Lord. Would you bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. Well, firstly, let's see the call to worship God. The call to worship God. Read. Uh, from verse 1 with me. It begins with a, with a superscription. It says, To the chief musician, 
on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph. says this, Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. Psalm 81 begins with a call to worship God. It is a call for the people's attention, for them to prepare themselves to worship God. And there are three questions that are answered here about worship. How, when, and why? How are the people to worship God? We see that here. How are they to worship God? The people are to gather together and they're to sing joyfully. They are, to, are not to worship any God. They're to worship the God of Jacob, the end of verse 1. Jacob, of course, is the father of Israel. The God of Jacob is the God of Israel. And all of God's people should worship him always with their lives. But this was a specific time when they should worship God. This was a particularly special occasion. They are to uh, prepare to strike and strum their various instruments. It lists the timbrel, uh, which is a percussion instrument similar to a tambourine. It mentions the harp lute, which is a long guitar-like instrument. It mentions the trumpet, which is actually a ram's horn. And it was used to summon God's people to worship him. That's the how. That's how they're meant to worship God. Joyfully, making a noise with these instruments, uh, raising up their voices to worship God. What about the when? When are the people to worship God? We see in verse 3, at the time of the new moon, at the time the full moon. And this is perhaps a little confusing, but it's describing a feast, the feast of tabernacles, the feast of tabernacles. And this was a seven-day annual festival around September time that Israel had. This was the center of Israel's yearly worship, the high point. And there was a purpose for it. The purpose was to remind Israel how God provided for them in the wilderness, to praise God for providing food from their harvest for that year, and to conclude uh, the religious festivals for the year. It was a high point, a climax of their festivals. That's the when. That's when they are to worship God in this specific way. What about the why? Why are the people to worship God? Verse 4 to 5 tells us that. It says it simply, it is a statute or a law. It's not simply uh, if the people feel good, if the people are feeling happy. No, it was a law that God gave, that God required for his people to do every year. A statute that was given even to their forefather, Joseph on the basis of God bringing his people out of Egypt. In other words, God deserves to be worshipped because of who he is and because of what he has done in their history. That's the how, the when, and the why. And there's an important message here. 
It is that we must worship the right God the right way. We must worship the right God the right way. Remember, there are two views on worship. Two views on worship. One is the normative principle of worship. Big word, but all that it means is that it's the view that says, I can worship God however I want, so long as God's word doesn't forbid it. So long as God's word says that I can't do that, I won't do that. But anything else is free for all. Anything else I can do. And that's not right. There's also the regulative principle of worship, which is the view that says that we worship how God commands us to worship him. We worship God, how God has commanded for us to worship him. And we don't go further than that. And there's examples in scripture of when people did go further than that. And it was bad news for them. They got consumed by fire. People can think that they can worship God however they want. That they can make up a God in their own mind. They think, well, as long as I'm sincere, as long as I'm being passionate, as long as it makes me feel happy, as long as it makes me feel good, as long as it makes me feel closer to God, then it's good worship. That's common. But that's not biblical. They say worship is about how I feel. But what people are doing there is they're taking things into their own hands and they're making a God in their own image, which is idolatry. There's no true worship that is taking place there. You can be sincere. You can be genuine and authentic about your worship, but you can be sincerely wrong. We worship God because God commands us to. We worship him joyfully and we worship him on his terms. You know, this, what we've read is a call to worship. It's a call for the people to come together and to worship God. And we actually do that on Sundays. Perhaps you've noticed, perhaps you haven't. We do that at church every Sunday. We read a Psalm, the instruments get ready And before God's word is brought forth in the preaching of his word, what do we do? We sing songs to God. We sing songs to each other about the goodness and the grace of God. We sing about who God is and what God has done. The instruments we use, guitar, piano, violin, clarinet, trumpet, they all help to worship. They help us to worship God with passion, passionately, with our voices. And it's important when we sing that we sing passionately and that we sing words that are rich, full of truth. Jesus said in John chapter 4, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, those who worship God must worship him with passion and with lyrics that are full of truth. How we worship God is not a trivial thing. How we worship God matters to God. This is the call to worship God. The second call is to remember God. The second call is to remember God. And we see that in verse 6 to 12. Continue reading with me. Verse 6, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. 
Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. And so... I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. These verses, if you couldn't tell, are written from God's perspective. It's God's perspective. Israel was a forgetful people. But here we read reminders to God's people about what God has done for them. And God reminds them so that his people wouldn't worship on their terms, wouldn't worship however they wanted, but so that they would worship him rightly, so that they would hear him and so that they would walk in his ways. And there are four things here in these verses to remember about God. Four things here to remember about God. The first is God delivers Israel. The second is that God's word goes to Israel. Third, that God provides for Israel. And fourth, that God disciplines Israel. Look at verse 6 to 7 and see how God delivers Israel. He says, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. The Israelites broke their backs, uh, lifting heavy stones to build great things for the Egyptians. But God freed them. They were in slavery to the Egyptians for hundreds of years. But God freed rescued them from their labor. They called and God delivered them. And if you turn back to Psalm chapter 80, you can see God's people calling out to him to restore them. They're making a plea to him. They say this, Psalm 80 verse 7, Restore us, O God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And here in uh, Psalm 81 verse 7, God says he will deliver them. He says he did deliver them from the Egyptians, and he mentions two other events. Two other events. Verse 7, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. And this thundercloud was God's presence when Moses went up to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. And at the end of verse 7, he says, I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. And at the waters of Meribah, Israel tempted God. Israel tempted God. But what it actually revealed is something about Israel's disobedience and unbelieving heart, that they didn't trust God. So while they were testing God, actually it was God testing them, we see here. And that's Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. God delivers Israel. Secondly, God's word goes to Israel. God's word goes to Israel. We see this verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. God doesn't stay distant. God doesn't stay silent. He has spoken to Israel. He has told Israel his commands. And he asks them to hear him, to listen to him. And if they do, if they are faithful to their covenant with him, 
then God will continue to bless them. That's God's promise to them. God's word goes to Israel. Third, verse 10, God provides for Israel. God provides for Israel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Just as God provided manna from heaven for Israel in the wilderness, God would continue to provide for his people's needs. This isn't just a promise uh, about what God has done in the past. This is a promise for Israel's future. God promises that he will provide for them if they are faithful to him and obey their covenant with him. Fourth, verse 11 to 12, God disciplines Israel. God disciplines Israel. Verse 11, but my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. God was gracious to Israel. But how did Israel respond? Israel was evil and unfaithful towards God. They responded to God's kindness with unfaithfulness to the covenant. They were stiff-necked. They were stubborn. They did not listen to him. They didn't submit to God. Instead, Israel wanted to go their own way. And what they demonstrated here was that their true heart of, they demonstrated their true heart of unbelief. Their heart was truly unfaithful when they disobeyed God and when they failed to keep his commands. And so what did God do? Verse 12, God says, so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk, not in his ways, but in their own counsels. God gave them over. God gave them over to their sinful desires. And dear friends, this is a severe judgment. This is a severe judgment from God. God abandoning a society is the most terrifying thing that can happen to a society. When God gave them over, Israel lost their king, they lost their land, they lost their temple, they were in bondage to other nations, and this was God's judgment on them. Why? For turning away from him. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? In Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable about a young man who demanded his inheritance from his father so that he could pursue his own lifestyle. He demanded his inheritance even before his father had died. He said, I want it now. And in this story, the father represents God. And what he does is he gives his child over to his sinful passions. He gives his child over to pursue the sinful lifestyle. He says, if that's what you want, I will give you over to that. And that was his judgment. And so what does the child do? The child lives for himself. He squanders every last cent away. He enjoys his lifestyle for a time, but eventually he ends up with nowhere to live, with no money, nowhere but in the pig's pen 
eating the pig's food. He comes to the end of himself. And ultimately, it's the father giving that child over to see and to face the consequences of their own sin that leads the child where? Back to the father. Back to the father. God gives a society over to their own wickedness so that they can face the consequences of their actions, so that they can see how dark, how evil, how wrong and destructive sin really is. And some, some among them would repent and turn back to him. Dear Christian, for many of us, that is who we were. That is exactly who we were. But God, with open arms, welcomes us home. He plucked us out of the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, if you are here and you are a believer, you have a history with God. Remember what God has done to rescue you. Finally, number three, hear God. Worship God. Remember God. Finally, hear God. This is the third call of Psalm 81, verses 13 to 16. Read from verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. God wants a response. God wants a response from Israel and from us. He doesn't want the people to continue on in their stubborn, stiff-necked ways. And he wants Israel, he wants us to respond in repentance. You see, Israel had turned to idols. They turned away from God and towards idols. They worshipped a golden calf. They married people from other nations and worshipped their God instead of the God of Jacob. And although God left Israel to face the consequences of their own sinful passions, like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, his arms are wide open, ready to receive Israel, should they turn to hear him and walk in his ways. This is what God says, verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That my people would just listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. This is a compassionate God. Their failure to worship God properly was actually a symptom of their true disease, unbelief and unfaithfulness to God. Instead, God wants them to turn from their stubborn ways and towards following him. And this theme of hearing God is all throughout this psalm. I hope that you've noticed it so far as we've been reading through. Psalm 81 is actually the central psalm of the book of Psalms. There's 150 psalms. 81, how does that make sense? But anybody know how many books in the psalms there are? There are, there are five books that make up the psalms. This psalm is in the center book 
book three. And in the center of the middle book is Psalm 81. Its context is the center of Israel's worship, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the central theme of this psalm is verse 8, verse 11, and verse 13. Verse 8, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me. Verse 11, But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. Verse 13, Oh, that my people would listen to me. What, what, if Israel would walk in my ways? This is the central theme. Hear God and walk in his ways. It echoes what is called the Shema. The Shema that was uh, originated from Exodus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And don't misunderstand this. God is not, we're, we're commanded to hear God. God wants us to hear him. But God is not writing some radio frequency that he's asking Israel to tune into. If they would just tune into this, then they could hear me whenever I'm talking to them. He isn't looking for subscribers to his content, hit the bell and get notifications. No, God has already spoken to Israel and he has already spoken to us. God has already spoken through his word, through the prophets of the Old Testament and through Jesus Christ in the New Testament and the apostles. And with that, we have the whole Bible, which is the word of God for us. That is God speaking to us. That is what we must hear. We've got the message, but God wants us to listen to him. Not to listen for him. Not to wonder, God, is that you speaking to me right now? But to listen to him, to obey what he has already said in his word. This is how God's people are meant to respond to God. They are meant to hear God. They are meant to heed God. And they are meant to enjoy God. Look at verse 13. Say, see that they are meant to hear God. He says, oh, that my people would listen to me. That they would listen to his commands. That they would read from his words. That they would look at Jesus, the word of God. That they would remember Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. Or Psalm 19 upholds the words of God. It says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey from the honeycomb. We can only worship God well with our lips if we first listen to him with our ears, if we hear God from his word, the Bible. Second, see the end of verse 13. God's people aren't just meant to hear God. They're meant to heed God. They're meant to heed him. Verse 13, that Israel would walk in my ways. In other words, don't just read God's word, but actually obey it. To follow what God has commanded. And by the way, it's difficult to obey. 
It's difficult to obey God if you're not actually sure what he's saying. If you're not actually reading his word, how do you think you're going to obey it? Third, God's people are meant to hear God, heed God, and lastly, enjoy God. They're meant to enjoy God. This is the blessing that they receive. Verse 14 to 16. I would soon subdue their enemies if they would hear me, if they would obey me. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. God would provide everything they need. They would be safe. God promised to defeat their enemies before if Israel obeyed him. And the judgment of their enemies would be so total that it would endure for how long? Forever. In other words, God's people would be safe and they would be provided for forever if they would just trust him. And God will feed them not just the bare minimum, not just enough to get by, but abundance, absolute abundance. And this is the chief end of man. This is our purpose in life. What God has created for us is this, to glorify him, worshiping him with our lives and honoring him, spreading his glory across the world, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And part of that enjoying him is enjoying the blessings that he gives us, how he rescues us and saves us and provides for us to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But friends, although Israel failed time and again, there is one who actually obeyed God perfectly. We all know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. When Israel was in the wilderness, there were three troubles that they faced. They faced the trouble of food, power and worship for food in the wilderness in numbers 20 the people were hungry and thirsty and they said if only we died like those who rebelled against god what a complaint not just god i'm hungry why are we here but oh i wish i died like the other rebels who rebelled against god and Moses was frustrated at the people and though God told him to speak to a rock, instead Moses strikes it twice, disobeying God. And the Israelites, hungry for food, and Moses too, failed to obey God. They were met with the trouble of food and they failed. The second problem was power. Numbers 14 tells us another event about the Israelites in the wilderness. They were to wander for 40 years because of their disobedience and not enter the promised land. But what did they do? They took matters into their own hands and they thought, we're going to go into the promised land anyway. God hadn't instructed them to do that, but they rebelled. And they went anyway in their own power without the provision, the protection and the power of God. And two nations, the Amalekites and the Canaanites in, their, in, in that land attacked them in response. Did they succeed? No. The Israelites failed miserably. It was a complete failure. They failed. They had no power in themselves and they did not trust God. The third trouble was worship. Earlier, they had made a golden calf to worship God. Aaron's two sons also made an offering to God on their terms and fire consumed them. And in the wilderness, in Numbers 25, men of Israel married women from other nations 
and they began to worship foreign gods. Israel failed to worship God. That was Israel. But Jesus? What about Jesus in the wilderness? Jesus was faced with the same three troubles when he was tempted in the wilderness, not just of his own temptation that swelled up from within, but Satan was there tempting him. Can you imagine that for a second? I I can hardly wrap my head around that. We all struggle with temptations, but Satan's not literally there on, on your shoulder tempting you. This was the most extreme temptation that anybody has ever faced. And it was to the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? To Jesus, they were not troubles. They were not three troubles. There were three triumphs. Food. The devil said, turn these stones into bread. But Jesus says, it is written. He knew the word of God. It is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Secondly, power. The devil said, throw yourself down off the temple. Let the angels catch you. And Jesus said, what? It is written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And third, worship. The devil said, I'll give you every kingdom of the world if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Every single response that Jesus gave was a quotation from the word of God. Jesus listened to the words of God, not the words of the devil. Jesus worshipped God. He remembered God and he listened to the words of God. Dear friends, there is hope. There is hope in this debased society. There is a hope that we have over sin. And it's in nothing of ourself. It is nothing that we can look for in the society to help us. We can't run to the government and say, save us from our sin. We can't run to our school teachers. We can't look deep enough within ourselves, do enough meditation, come to enough of a Zen peace, reach nirvana, invent a God in our image and end up in that wonderland when we die. There is no refuge for us except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel failed in the wilderness. We would have failed in the wilderness. Who's the one who succeeded? Who was the one who triumphed? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our only hope. If you tonight are a follower then would you have an ear to hear what God says through his word? Would you listen carefully and keenly when God's word is preached? At youth group, sure, but more importantly, at church on Sundays, would you listen keenly to the word of God? Would you study his word in your own time in the morning doing devotions? Would you pray? Here's a good practice if you don't do it. Pray before you go to church in the morning. Take one minute and pray, God, as I come to church, would you help me to worship you with your people? And would my heart and my ears be ready to receive your word? 
guess what? God is going to answer that and you will grow like you have never seen before because you will have a heart that is keen on God. Or perhaps you could read a psalm if you're on your way to church, if your parents are driving. Or perhaps you're sitting down in the pews a few minutes early. Just open a psalm, any psalm. Any of them are good. Perhaps you could do those things. But if you do not trust Jesus, would you trust him today? Would you turn to him because he is your only hope? For all of you here, would you worship God joyfully, truthfully, passionately? Would you remember God? Would you remember him for who he is, for what he has done, how he rescued you? from your sin would you hear God and how do you do that well you listen to his word the Bible you obey his word and you enjoy and you delight in his word because every word you read is one step closer to knowing who God is would you hear God and would you walk in his ways and it would be the delight of God God would be most pleased most delighted if you did that today let's pray father so often we turn to things that distract us things that have no value lord would you help us instead to hear you to read your word to learn to grow to know you better so that we can worship you better i thank you for each of uh, the youth that are here that are saved that know you, that trust you, that love you? Would you help them to walk in your way, to be devoted to you, sold out, passionate for you? Lord, would you help them to grow in maturity and love for you? Lord, would you help us to remember what you have done? May we learn what you have done in the Bible and may, you, may we reflect on what you have done in our own lives and the lives of others. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. And Lord, would we worship you on your terms? Would we worship you how you want us to worship you? Would we worship you passionately and sing songs that are true, full of truth, rich and glorifying to you? Help each one that is here to grow in that. And for any that are here that do not know you, who hear your words but reject it like Israel did so many times, I pray that you would work in their heart and convict them of their sin and may they turn to trust in you, the only hope, our only refuge in this life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.